Welcome to this exclusive mini-series, Unlocking Net Zero, hosted by Unlocking Ambition alumni and friend, Dr. Stephanie Terney-Brown. In this series, Dr. Stephanie interviews outstanding entrepreneurial founders from all across Scotland, doing incredible things to help our net zero ambitions to become a reality. We know you'll enjoy listening in on this founder-to-founder conversation. We hope you'll be inspired by the innovative ways in which Scottish companies are revolutionising their own operations, leading the way in showing what Scotland is capable of as we transition to a net zero economy. As always, the views of our guests will not always reflect those of Unlocking Ambition or our partners. We welcome the breadth of opinions and approaches to tackling climate change. And not only can you enjoy their conversation today, but you can get involved too. Find us online on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you and your story of how you are also unlocking net zero. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this Unlocking Net Zero podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Stephanie Tereni-Brown, Managing Director of Clean Water Wave, one of the original cohort of the Unlocking Ambition series. This podcast series is exploring Scotland's most innovative founders and startups of companies that are really delivering on our net zero ambitions and contributions. We're doing this in the lead up to the next UN Climate Change Conference, COP26, where a net zero carbon future natural habitat protection, the financing of climate solutions and collaborative action are the four key priority areas. I'm really happy today to be joined by John Ferguson, founder and CEO of Sizaltech, a company that's developed natural fibre insulation for building use, which, as the name suggests, is made from Sizal. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. And um, let's start by going over a bit about your company, Sizaltech. Sure. Yes. What is Sizal? Tell us about it. <laughs> Sizal is uh, Sizal is a really uh, sustainable fibre crop. It's a, it's a tropical crop, uh, and it is particularly uh, drought resistant. So in these days of climate change, it's particularly uh, useful for farmers, for small scale farmers, particularly in the countries where it's grown, um, which predominantly uh, in East Africa, but also Central America. Um, basically, uh, with climate change, as you know, droughts are becoming more frequent, uh, less predictable, uh, and droughts which kill other crops, such as maize and beans and so on, won't, won't really affect sizal. You know, it's, it will just stop growing and, and still be fine. The same, same plants grow for about 30 years, and uh, basically they have long spiky leaves that sometimes grow as a hedge crop, and mm-hmm. the, uh, the leaves contain the fibres. Um, they're typically harvested when they're about a metre long. Um, and I probably won't bore you with a complete agronomy <laughs> lecture, but it's like basically um, because you can harvest them in any year or any time of year, um, it's quite good for the uh, cash flow of small scale farmers. And uh, they're sometimes regarded as an insurance crop because you right. can grow it and maybe harvest it in the years when other things fail. Okay, so a really amazing source of income for small-scale farmers then as you described in predominantly East Africa and Central America but what makes it so attractive to you as an entrepreneur (laughs) and as a business guy? Um, So I guess well I didn't really go into this as a business guy (laughs) Um, 
basically in East Africa, it was it was a and in Tanzania particularly, it was a major export crop about fifty years ago when uh, sacks and ropes and things like that were made from from sisal. And then polypropylene came along and basically decimated that that industry. Uh, and a lot of farmers kept growing the the crops and just using them for their own domestic purposes. But, you know, as I mentioned, because of climate changes, it's it's grown again in in popularity. Uh, A lot of small scale farmers were growing it, but didn't necessarily really have any good uh, routes to market for it. So I thought, yeah, it'd be quite nice if we could set up a little ethical business, basically buying the fibre from the small scale farmers for a fair price, doing the basic processing in, in East Africa, and then shipping it in the lowest carbon way that we could to Europe to process it into some kind of product that would compete with synthetic plastic oil-based products. Um, and at that time, yeah, we, we didn't actually know what we were going to make. So tell us a bit about that that journey. So you started off working in East Africa in a very different guise then? How, how did you kind of come to... Yeah, you know, my background is actually in agriculture and international development. Right. And I spent several years uh, working in Kenya, Tanzania, Malawi um, on agricultural productivity and training farmers on on how to to cope with climate change, um, and yet just one aspect of that is is, is drought resistant crops. And I, I guess at some point I decided that I'd like to move away from the kind of third sector NGO sector towards uh, business and and trying to build an ethical business. And so I would very much describe you as a, a low carbon entrepreneur. And I think sometimes you describe yourself as a social entrepreneur. Yeah. And you've kind of ended up in this business space, not quite by accident, but certainly not the path that you intended to go on as a, you know, somebody that was working in the third sector and, and working very closely with farmers. Yeah. And now obviously you're developing a pretty cutting edge um, insulation technology here in the UK. That's quite some journey. Yeah, it's been a journey. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think most people think if you're an insulation company, you probably started off being like, right, I'm in the I'm in the building sector, you know, what can I make a good insulation out of it? So I guess our, our business is a little bit back to front in uh, in some ways. But yeah, for us, you know, having an environmental impact and uh, a social impact is is basically as important as as making profit. Um, of course, we need to, uh, you know, make profit to, to succeed. But yeah, we also uh, take the social and environmental impact very seriously. And tell us a little bit about that. So you've obviously come from this background in the third sector and you've seen this opportunity with Sizel and now in the UK market anyway, you're kind of competing with, I guess, the big the big boys really in terms of the insulation materials in the, in the building space. So have you seen, and what's your market like? Describe that market to us and how easy is it for you as a, you know, a small startup that's very much kind of low carbon and social entrepreneur space. Mm-hmm. How easy is it for you to enter that market? Yeah, quite challenging actually. I suppose I should take a step backwards. So we started off uh, in late 2014 with our with our kind of minimum viable product, which was a, a sizeable geotech style. We were looking for something that we could start making without um, without needing a lot of investment and so on. So we we developed this. Uh, basically sizal cloth which was strong but ultimately biodegradable and could be used in different applications like um, uh, riverbank stabilization footpath making uh, we got sucked into a whole world of peatland restoration but that's probably a different <laughs> podcast um, <laughs> and uh, obviously that was you know fairly niche but it taught us the basics of how to run a business how to 
you know, uh, arrange logistics from East Africa, which is not a very common, uh, not a very common thing. And about um, 2016, 2017, we started to, to, to pivot to look at, you know, what we did a whole bunch of university projects looking at other potential uses of sisal and, uh, you know, insulation uh, or, you know, the built environment was an interesting sector. And within that, insulation seemed to be um, seemed to be really interesting because basically, the if I can be so crude as to talk about money for a second, the, U the UK insulation market is worth about £1.3 billion pounds per year. Um, and of, of those products, um, I would say about one, between one and 2% is what I would classify as uh, sustainable products. So um, most of it, the vast majority is based on, um, uh, based on plastics or is extremely carbon intensive to manufacture, which is obviously, you know, counterintuitive if you're trying to, you know, be environmentally friendly by, you know, insulating your home, you're not expecting really to use very like carbon intensive um, products and products where also all the offcuts uh, from it going to landfill for a couple of hundred years is probably not your intention. So. I've probably forgotten the question. <laughs> well, it's just it's an interesting route, I think, that you've come from it almost from a you know from the third sector, but almost from an ac academic background, collaborating with universities, and then you know developing the technology with the product, the sizal product. Yeah. But then actually seeing in the built environment that there's a specific market yeah, yeah, yeah. that's ah, worth. Yeah. How, a lot how, of money. how difficult it is to access the market? You know. There's, there's been a huge amount of interest. We, we had a um, launch event at um, Future Build in London in 2020, which, yeah, March 2020, you can guess. The it's worst not, timing not the ever. The best time <laughs> possible, yeah. But we had just, you know, we were on the busiest uh, busiest stands at that show because there is just, you know, a huge amount of, of interest in this in this area, at the t uh, you know, at the moment. Um, I suppose the, the main challenge that we have is um, we have a, a natural product. We we don't have at the moment all the certification that some of the larger companies have and you know some of the you know because it's a slightly unusual product even the the test procedures and stuff are not so kind of well known as for some of the synthetic products but we are kind of we are kind of working through that and we we do have some uh early adopters who you know who will take the time to uh you know analyze and understand uh, these kind of uh, natural products and you know instead of just kind of looking at oh what's the u value the u value is basically how good uh, an insulator is is the product but that's kind of only one aspect of it because you can get basically plastic based insulation materials which have got an excellent thermal performance but they don't let buildings breathe at all so if you've got um, like a traditional stone building um, sometimes you can actually cause a lot of problems with condensation and stuff like that. So there's, yeah, there's issues of that. There's um, issues around uh, thermal mass. You've probably heard about, you know, modern schools, for example, getting a lot of uh, phenolic foam kind of insulation. And then suddenly they have a massive problem in summer with overheating and they end up having to use loads of air con, which is, yeah, again, kind of counter productive right okay so when, so when sometimes when people are choosing a product they're basing it on one particular value that's right the thermal properties and it's, of that and product. it's quite complex but uh, it's much more area. complex than yeah. that suggests but i think from what you're saying also that that the sizal product that you've developed helps mitigate these issues right yeah it most regulate... sizal, yeah and the other not there are other natural fiber mm -hmm. products out there too and yeah they tend to have a, a higher thermal mass meaning they they uh 
a build a room or a building takes a little bit longer to heat up but then also a little bit longer to cool down so basically it averages out you don't have these peaks of um heat and coldness it kind of averages out a bit more so much more regulated building yes um, using the product okay interesting and you also talked a bit about the logistics involved with shipping the product and most of the product you described as grown in east africa yeah you're manufacturing and selling in the uk so That's you've right. got quite a logistical headache yeah maybe. exactly exactly um and i guess everybody kind of assumes that if you're moving materials from east africa to europe it must have a, a big carbon footprint mm -hmm. but we're not actually if you think about insulation that's obviously a very uh, light and fluffy product uh, so you want to basically manufacture that close to the uh, to the end customer so what we're bringing from east africa is uh, very dense bales of of sisal fiber packed uh, you know tightly in a in a shipping container um, so in fact when you do the uh, when you do the uh, carbon maths um, that is actually a relatively small part of our carbon footprint in fact uh, you know transporting the finished uh, insulation product to a customer by truck typically has a bigger carbon footprint than, than bringing those raw fibers. So from, actually the transport within the UK yeah, yeah, has exactly. a higher carbon footprint yeah. than the transport right. from East Africa yeah, to the yeah. UK. Mm. By road. Yeah. Very interesting. And also, I guess, as you described, that actually the product that you're transporting, because you're transporting it in dense bales yeah. here, that also mitigates that. Yeah, that exactly. exactly. And was, yeah, was, was that very much a manufacturing and carbon choice yeah. rather than manufacturing the fluffy stuff as you put it <laughs> which probably would have been cheaper to manufacture in east africa well i'm not sure that the technology is really there anyway but yeah yeah that was we, we did want to split it in that way and do the kind of um more basic processes there mm -hmm. um and yeah transport it in a dense form for carbon reasons carbon and cost reasons and then uh yeah make the final final product here but yeah in the early days the transport was that was that was a major challenge because there are just not that many people bringing materials on that route and um most this may be going into too much detail but um a lot of people when they're starting off they don't want a whole container they want uh lcl less than container load and in most countries they just say okay we've got a container going this state and all the different people's goods are mixed up inside in africa it tends to be like the containers there until it's full and you have no idea whether that will be a week a month or a year right, which okay. <laughs> did not really make the logistics very easy but uh but yeah anyway so managing, containers and it's managing it this way it's much yeah, easier so. to manage that whole container load yeah, yeah. Um, and where do you see, I mean, you described obviously going to this launch event just pre-COVID yeah, pre yeah, at the yeah. Future Build conference in March last year. Yeah. Um, and you described yourself obviously as being very busy. And yeah. do, do you see that there's a change in kind of customer profile and customer demand for, you know, a low carbon product in the building sector? The talk, the talk and the interest is, is certainly there. I don't right. know from the figures yet whether, you know, you know, how, how that's converting into actual sales. But certainly, it's there's a growing awareness. Whereas a few years ago, you know, uh, the kind of uh, eco products might have been, you know, away in a, a corner of a um, hall somewhere. Now, you know, that is that is kind of what they're talking about on the centre stage of these events. How can the built environment contribute to the uh, sustainable development goals and all this kind of thing? So there might still be a mis mismatch between what's being talked about and what. A lot of manufacturers are doing and certainly there's a lot of greenwashing but it's um it's 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 moving its way up the um you know it's becoming more mainstream mm -hmm. I would say. 
And do you find yourself changing your kind of brand identity to fit with that kind of built environment and what, what they're looking for? Because when I met you a few years ago, you weren't known as Sizal Tech, you were known as something else. Yeah, the East Africa Sizal Company uh-huh. Limited. That is still the company name. But yeah, I think we um, when we when we got into the uh, insulation uh, market, I think you know we looked at the other product name. Well, actually, most of the most of the other competitors' products don't have very good names. But we, yeah, we started <laughs> we started to kind of think about it, and we I guess we wanted to try and make it sound a little bit more technical, not so kind of artisan. And um, I guess we we wanted to keep Sizel because you know that is the kind of um, that is the kind of root of the company, and that is you know the base material that we use in all, in all of our products um so yeah so make it sound technical and keep size yeah so yeah we kind of did that yeah we did did that and uh yeah made a nice uh logo and trademarked and all that kind of stuff great um and tell us obviously we're coming in the lead up to to cop 26 now um how how are you figuring into that cop 26 space what does that kind of net zero goal mean to you and your work obviously the climate ambitions and and having a low carbon footprint are pretty critical yeah. to, your, to your work are you closely involved with cop 26 how's that going <laughs> i mean i mean we're, we're not directly involved but i mean if, if if you kind of think about you know from a from a I'm not quite good from a global perspective but from a scottish perspective mm-hmm. in terms of scotland meeting its its climate goals you know the uh, uh, renewable en- electricity thing has gone quite, you know, very well over the last few years. We're almost at 100% renewables most of the time now. The uh, the uh, transport thing is kind of is kind of moving. You know, there's you know a lot more interest in electric vehicles. You know, especially in the last few weeks with everything that's that's <laughs> been going on, and you know, hydrogen's making some progress as well. But the kind of the one you know big missing piece in the jigsaw is 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 the built environment. You know the the building stock all over uh, all over Scotland, all over the UK is really just not efficient at all, uh, and you know we're just burning huge amounts of of fossil fuels to um, you know to to heat leaky old buildings, and you know of course moving to heat pumps and you know uh, you know non fossil fuel based heating types is part of it, but the most obvious thing to do is insulate these buildings, and you know if you think about when these when these targets are, are are due, if you think about what buildings will will be there at that time, you know most of them, you know more than three quarters of the buildings that will be there by then are the buildings which we're in right now, which clearly don't meet those standards. So basically, most buildings in the UK will need um, to be insulated again. Uh, and the question is, what do you use? Do you want to use something that's really carbon intensive and polluting, or do you want to use uh, something that's sustainable and can contribute to the incomes of small-scale farmers and yeah we use circular economy materials yeah and that kind of messaging is very key to to who you are as a person but also key to your to your product and to your market and I think it's interesting that you say that there's this huge market but actually there's probably a fair bit of greenwashing that goes on in, oh, yeah. in the building Absolutely. industry yeah, yeah. Um, but actually you know, in the next 20, 30 years, as we progress towards, you know, net zero goals um, for carbon, a lot of the changes that will have to happen in the built environment aren't necessarily new buildings being built from scratch. It's yeah, actually looking right. at how we retrofit. Retrofitting and deep retrofitting, as they're talking about now, getting back to the, the bare bones, you know, not just being like, oh, well, I've got a plasterboard ceiling, maybe I'll put some insulation underneath it. It's, you know, getting right back to the 
the raw materials, you know, stripping it right out and, and looking at the whole building envelope, as they call it, and yeah, saying, you know, what, what would be the best way to make this, you know, energy efficient and starting over, basically. Mm-hmm. And you talked also about Scottish businesses and, and Scotland being pretty good, actually, in terms of their kind of renewable energy goals and, yeah. and a bunch of other kind of climate. Do you see yeah. that Scotland's kind of uniquely placed to offer something or whether it's innovation or just a different way of thinking. Um, I, think, I think the Scottish government was, you know, pretty ambitious in its targets. You know, several years ago, it was, you know, it was well ahead of other countries, which, you know, it's, it's, it's great to have that ambition there. And even though we're only a little country, you know, it's, it's great if we can be kind of leading by example. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm a complete water geek, so I love talking right. about water. I'm aware of that. <laughs> at all opportunities. And it's obviously so vital to our environment and to our climate. Yeah. Um, and you talked a little bit about sisal being so drought resistant. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering with the farmers that you work with, how yeah. keen are they mm-hmm. to grow, you know, grow a cash crop like sisal as opposed to growing, you know, subsistence food food crops like what is there a kind of momentum in terms of changing towards more drought resistant crops like sisal yeah i think yeah i wouldn't say there's a particular movement towards cash crops but um but yeah to certainly countries which are closer to the equator tend to have been hit harder by by climate change and you know in some of these you know less developed countries particularly in africa you know it's there aren't these conversations about, you know, is, is climate change happening or not? It's, it's very, very real. You know, for many generations, they've known on, you know, X date of this month, that's when the rains start. And like in the last few years, this has just totally gone to pop. The rains are coming and going lots of different times. They don't know, they don't know what's going on with the climate. So it is very, very obvious to them that, um, that the climate ha- has changed already and is continuing to change and that they need to take, uh, you know, actions to mitigate that otherwise like basically they'll starve to put it bluntly um obviously you're purchasing from farmers in east africa but is it you that's doing that purchasing and that initial processing yourself or are you working with cooperatives or how does that relationship work yeah so basically um we have a partner organization in tanzania um and they buy from uh, groups cooperatives of small-scale farmers um, for a fair price. So they are buying the size of leaves from the farmers. They're transporting them back to um, a little depot that they've set up where basically they do um, they extract the, the fibres from the leaf, a process called decortication. Uh, they hang it up to dry, basically on washing lines. They, they sun dry it and they basically brush it and bale it. And that's it's pretty much as simple as that. And then they export to us. And they, they sell to other people as well. But basically... We have a we have a close uh, working relationship and they supply us with the raw material so you really understand then that relationship with just the buyer in tanzania but then they've also got that very close working relationship with the farmer so you're getting that direct feedback about what the crops are like and what the conditions are like and yeah exactly brilliant uh, and that's obviously fundamental i think to your goals as a social entrepreneur that you're not ripping people off right? <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> absolutely it is, it is, it is. I wonder, by the way, we, uh, I wonder if we should also mention that our, so our product, we started off making a pure sisal insulation. That mm-hmm. was, that was really our, that was really our, our target. But uh, sisal is actually an incredibly tough and strong 
fiber like i mentioned they used to make uh, ropes out of yeah. it so we discovered it was it was basically impossible to cut which right. was not not so practical for people so we 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 kind of thought oh dear we're gonna have to blend this with we don't you know with other materials we didn't really want to dilute our our story um but then we started speaking to zero waste scotland and we we kind of learned about the whole circular economy this is a couple of years ago now and actually it started to take on a kind of uh exciting new dimension um mm -hmm. that you could have a product which yes the the core of it was the size of fiber which which gives it the product its structural strength um but by blending with other circular economy materials you can you can also help prevent waste in 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 scotland or in the uk so we, we did a you know a very wide range of uh experimenting with different things all kinds of cool things so like with sizal and shredded blue jeans, <laughs> sizal and yeah, wood fiber and um, all kinds of things. But what we settled on in the end is actually a sizal and sheep's wool blend. Um, we started off with with new sheep's wool, if you like, and then started looking at um, recycled wool. So basically, we're now taking uh, waste from the Harris Tweed industry that would otherwise have gone to to landfills. So this is like your salvage edges, end of end of end of line stuff. So just to be clear, it's post production, not post consumer. Um, and and we're blending that. So we uh, our current product is a is a blend of sizal fiber from East Africa and recycled uh, Harris Tweed from yeah from Harris. So it's a nice nice little Scottish African. Uh, relationship there absolutely a true partnership in yeah. many many ways yeah um and a nice tweedy image to your insulation yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the other thing we did so i'll try not to bore you completely with the insulation chat but basically um all fibrous insulations are held together with some kind of binder uh, which is melt which basically melts and holds them together and typically that's a that's a polyester based well yeah all the products in the market use a polyester based binder so even if even the other products who describe themselves as natural they're still actually about 20 percent plastic but we really? developed uh, a starch based um binder uh, we spent during our r d phase so basically it's uh yeah it's a natural binder and it means that all of our offcuts can also be composted which is uh, kind of novel as well so really really trying to embed the circular economy principles yeah. at heart then so yeah. you're using you know leaves from the sizal plant yeah off cuts from the local tweed the shops yeah not no manufacturers from the yeah, shops, exactly. yeah um and then also looking at you know really developing an innovative binding product yeah. where elsewhere they're using a plastic base yeah which is like six times the price which is not so good but uh uh yeah i think it's is there a customers. market for, for something you know is there a market for using that binder in other yeah so other it's, other it's already used it's used in like uh, 3d printing and um vegware you know vegware vegware cups and mm -hmm. stuff they're made of similar materials and overall then how optimistic are you about being able to meet our climate change goals i think we can i think uh you know if you'd asked somebody in the street about, you know, low carbon and uh, stuff like this 10 years ago, they would have looked at you like you're a bit crazy. And, but I think, you know, it's becoming, you know, it's becoming more and more common. People underst are understanding more and more about it. You know, there's, I think, I think the kind of, you know, is, is climate change real or not? I think that's now a bit of a like kind of done conversation. I think most people recognize that, that 
certainly most kind of educated people realise that we now need to take action and not just talk about it. So yeah, I'm I am I would say I am optimistic. Oh, that's great. What a lovely place to end the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, John. That was superb. Thank you.